Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode is brought to you by Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can say that I get a lot of value out of them. Merck Research is different from other research, which usually just cherry picks all positive or all negative charts and then falls into the trap of confirmation bias. Merck Research provides an intellectually consistent approach by going through a consistent set of relevant data and then putting it through a consistent set of frameworks, which is then summarized in a checklist and in a concise written summary. Their monthly economic and market data review provides an excellent overview of the macro landscape. It's all compiled in one place and easy to interpret chart books with written analysis. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer and get a three-month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website merckresearch.com forward slash contrarian. That's Merck spelled M-E-R-K. Or you can log on to merckresearch.com, sign up for a regular subscription, and enter the code contrarian at checkout to take advantage of this free offer. Now on to today's episode. Okay, I'm here once again with David Hunter, Contrarian Macro Advisors. I believe you are the first guest to have a fourth appearance on this podcast. So congratulations on that. Oh, yes, I'm honored. (laughs) I don't know what comes after a hat trick, but whatever it is, you got it. And (laughs) the uh, you are obviously one of our most popular guests here. People like to hear what you have to say. And You've been talking about this parabolic melt-up in risk assets for some time. You had a target of 4,000 on the S&P back when it seemed completely impossible. That 4,000 target now is really within very, very close. We almost got there, I think, but not quite. But more importantly, uh, then you updated it, I think, to, to, to around 4,500. But So I'm, I'm curious here, and I'm sure our listeners are as well, to get an update on your views of this melt-up, where we are, what happens next. Sure. Um, first, thanks for having me. Uh, always love coming on. So, um, yeah, I, I updated actually one more time my target on the S&P to 4,600, um, NASDAQ 17,000, uh, Dow Jones 37,000. And I've said uh, even with those targets, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm too low. Uh, so that's kind of where I think we're going, and I think we're going there fast. Um, I think we are 
we just went through a very another very short pullback here um and i think we're emerging from that and i i think there's a real chance we're going to see those targets met in the second quarter okay um, so can always stretch out you know i've uh, said it before where i thought we could get there faster but but um you know basically if you get into the real final stage final parabolic stage you can cover all that ground in a very short time. So I think second quarter is reasonable. Nice. Um, you know, not not by any means set in stone, but I think there's a real chance. All right. It doesn't sound like you're particularly concerned about bond yields, the treasury going above 1.7, maybe even 1.75 on the 10 year. And I know you have some views on that as well, but the interesting thing with the rise in treasury yields is that it has been accompanied by selling of tech stocks um, of, you know, this risky, you know, what one might consider the riskier areas of the market. So what are your views on that and how do you see that playing into things? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I revised my interest rate forecast. I had said way back, probably um, last August or September that we could see, uh, man, back then the 10 year was at around 0.6. And I forecast then that we could see, a, you know, somewhere between 120 and 150 on on the uh, yield for the 10 year. And obviously we got to 150, you know, took a while to get there, but six months later, and then it pushed beyond that and went to 175. Um, I revised again my forecast on interest rates maybe a month ago and said, it looks to me now like um, we're gonna have a move up to 250 on the 10 year and maybe 3% on the, the 30 year so but i don't think it happens in a straight line i've also also said uh, particularly on twitter that i think we are overdue for a rally here everybody's on one side of the boat you know everybody's bearish bonds and calling for higher rates and worried about inflation etc and i think that's you know an accurate view but i think it's not going to all happen right now uh, i think you're probably going to see 120 on the 10 year here in the next month or two. So, you know, we're at 170 today, I think, and you could get down to um, 120, maybe a little below that um, before we then start to climb to 250. And I think that climb to 250 is gonna be driven by an overheating economy as everything opens up and more inflation. Right. And, I and I think the Fed ultimately is gonna be forced to tighten. They been very clear that they have no plans to right now and that they're going to let it run hot and i don't think they're insincere in that statement i think i think powell is being very upfront and transparent but i think once this thing if let's say we have a scenario where the s p is up near 4600 and uh the economy's open up and you're seeing numbers now of six seven eight nine percent gdp and you get inflation pushing up towards three percent or maybe even above i don't think he can sit complacently and say hey we're going to let it run hot so my guess is they do ultimately have to tighten uh, might come later in the second quarter or might be third quarter but i think that's what kind of pushes that that move up to 250. Um, and i don't think it's necessarily when i say tighten i don't think it's necessarily going to be you know hiking fed fund rates uh, or raising the discount rate. I think it's going to be mostly on the balance sheet side, you know, pulling money out of the system. So, you, you know, last summer when we didn't have any of this inflation uh, and when we were, you know, barely a quarter from the, the trough, um, they pulled 
uh, several hundred billion out of the balance sheet then, you know, brought money back in. And uh, I, I think, you know, this time it could be somewhere between 500 billion and a trillion. That, that has real consequences, you know, ultimately for the economy, I think. So, so that's, you know, that's what I see for interest rates in terms of the tech stocks. Yeah, I mean, they're growth stocks and they've benefited for years and years and years now from, you know, rates trending down. So they've been the leaders in this whole um, bull market and I think they remain the leaders, but you did have, even though it's still low, low historic rates, you know, you did have a move from 0.6 to 1.75 in a hurry. And I, I think it's not a, you know, it's very explainable why tech stocks took, took a hit. Uh, they were the overowned stocks. They were the most popular and growth stocks depend on low interest rates or, you know, really are more responsive to, to rates than, than anything else. And we obviously rotated cyclicals as the economy looked like it was not only bottoming out, but we're going to have some pretty good uh, tailwinds uh, here in the next several months. Mm-hmm. So, so and and by the way, commodities are a part of that cyclical, right. and commodities are also part of why we've seen this run up in inflation. It's been an amazing mm-hmm. move in some of the commodity prices. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, to go back to the Fed real quick, and, and you've been consistent with this as well, that you, you thought an overreaction by the Fed, on the first on the loosening side, so would, would cause things to overheat. It seems that's where we are now. If you look at Powell's statement last week and his commentary, as you just alluded to about inflation, and, and the Fed now has talked about transitory inflation and how that, which may just be another word for inflation that they can then retroactively um, allow them to whatever, but uh, so yeah. So, what do you think about about that? And and now you're saying that this would be the overreaction on the tightening side, would be not necessarily on the rates, but on the tapering front. Is that right? On the purchases. That, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and trying. I think he's. I really think Paul. We're so used to you know, particularly going back to Greenspan, and those days, and then uh, you know, uh, Bernanke and beyond. We're so used to. A Fed chairman, you know, giving you some of what he thinks, but also kind of keeping a lot of stuff close to the vest. Mm. And I, I think Jay Powell's a different animal. I really mm. think he's trying very hard to tell you what his thoughts are today, or what the the committee's thoughts are today. So I don't, I don't view it as them using um, semantics or rhetoric to try to cover up that they're worried. Okay. I think they truly believe we've got still. You know, 10, 10 million people unemployed. We still mm-hmm. have a fragile economy, and and it's been so many times in the past we've called false breakouts in inflation, and only to see them go lo- inflation go lower. So I think he really is stating what what the Fed believes at this point. Like I said, I think that's going to change uh, as we move towards and into the summer. Um, but you know, transitory I think is a legitimate statement that they believe right now that this is temporary and that we'll see what we've seen, you know, over the last couple of decades is that inflation has a bounce and then it reverts to its downside. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm calling for a global bust at some yeah. point in the next year and probably before the end of this year, begin at least by, before the end of this year. And that will turn inflation down pretty dramatically. Right. So 
uh, I am in the camp that this is transitory in some mm. ways, but it's only going to be transitory because the Fed's going to react to it and tighten it. Okay. Well, so much for my uh, my cynicism and conspiracy theories then. But anyway, about the Fed, <laughs> I'm sure they're not the only one. But no, no not at all. <laughs> but not by a long shot. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. I need to tell you about Merck Research. MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. I read these reports on a regular basis and can absolutely recommend them. Uh, Their research is different they do not cherry pick positive or negative charts, nor do they fall into the trap of confirmation bias. They have an intellectually consistent approach. They grew through a consistent set of relevant data, put them through the same consistent set of frameworks, and then summarize the whole thing in a checklist with a concise written summary. And now listeners of this podcast can take advantage of a special offer, which is a three month free trial to Merck Research. Simply visit the website MerckResearch.com, sign up for one of the subscriptions, and enter the code CONTRARIAN at checkout to take advantage of this limited offer. That's MerckResearch.com, M-E-R-K. So what kind of language then, or what kind of data maybe, would you be looking for from the Fed or from the economy that might tip us off to this tapering being in the cards because he said that he's not going to do it until next year or so, or maybe he hasn't put an exact time on it, but he said he's just not in the foreseeable. Yeah. I I think it's uh, my feeling is I don't think he's anticipating how fast the thing can heat up. So it's not so much any magic level. I just think, like I said, if you get um, the SAP moving from, you know, 3,900 to, 4,600 in a course of a couple months, and you get copper moving higher and oil moving higher in and just across the board, inflation index is picking up speed. And more importantly, the economy really starting to pick up speed. I think they have to, I, one thing that I think is in the back of their mind that they may not like to talk about because they don't want to you know, scare anybody, but they have to, as responsible Money managers, they have to they have to be thinking about the fact that hey, we, you know we we put three and a half trillion dollars, you know, on the balance sheet. We you know we boost the balance sheet by three and a half trillion dollars in in a year's time. Unprecedented. We've never done anything like that before. You know, maybe this is what the result is, and we better not stay the party too long. So I, I think that is what I would think would come more forefront if we do see you know the economy really picking up speed and things coming along and again i'm like i said i'm not expecting them to raise rates so i think it would be their 
if, if they could pull three or four hundred billion out last year, I, I certainly think they can pull double that amount out, you know, uh, if they see this. So it's more just a responsible reaction from them. The problem is we have a recovery that is in some ways in statistics only. I mean, you've still got you know, a huge small business component that's suffering tremendously from the shutdown. Uh, many, many businesses hanging on by, you know, the, their fingertips and, and you've still got, you know, across the board, a lot of fragility in the system. So I think it won't take a big tightening to send us back in the other direction in a hurry. Mm. Um, and I think that's really my story. That's mm -hmm. a little bit unique. I think out there is, I think everybody is underestimating how fast an unwind in this environment could come. So mm. that it, it's not that it's drawn out and they'd have to tighten for six or nine months before it happened. I just think we're so fragile that even even not providing liquidity can mm. turn you the other way in a hurry. And mm. you know, you, as you know, we've seen it before. You, yeah. you get a 10% correction in the market, and the Fed says, "Yeah, that's." You know that's not to be unexpected. You know that's that's to be expected. That we're not going to be always going up. So they say, well, that's not something we're worried about. Next thing you know, you're down thirty percent. You know, right. and and the snowballs run run downhill. So, so I, I I do think that's the real story: is the magnitude of the leverage in the system, um, and leverage I define as both debt and derivatives can really speed up everything. Uh, and and that combined with the fragility caused by the pandemic uh, can really have something happen on the downside that would normally spread out over a couple of years or more that happens in a very concentrated, you know, several months. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so now these, these bond purchases, this, this tapering, this is, is this a type of thing that they like interest rates, they need to announce it in an official setting or can they just kind of do it without speaking to it? Do you know that offhand? No, they can do it. They, they don't can have do to it. announce okay. anything. Yeah. They, right. they probably will at some point, you know, it'll become clear that they're, they're, um, you know, doing reverse repos or whatever, yeah. but but I, I, I don't, they don't need an official meeting to say we're tapering or that we're pulling money out of the system. So that makes this all this even more challenging then for everybody. Uh, so, okay. So what do you think about the argument that, you know, Powell kind of his, his trial by fire here in late 2018 when he was raising rates and on the course for raising rates and then switched course when things kind of became apparent that that wasn't the proper course of action. And that that was kind of a, like his trial by fire and he's learned from that and that he will not make that mistake again in terms of overreacting too soon to the market. Do you think there's anything to that that could keep have him keep the keep the tapering like on on hold for a little while longer? I think I think it's part of why he's uh, cautious to tighten now mm -hmm. or, or says mm -hmm. we're going to let it run hot. Um, I think he did learn a lesson, a valuable lesson back in, in uh, the second half of 2018 or or certainly Christmas Eve 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and as you probably remember, I was probably as critical as anybody yep. uh, about his actions during those months and saying they don't understand, you know, what they're doing here. He's, you know, he's learning on the job and we're going to pay a big price for it. Um, I, I also did a 
about face and in March of last year said he's been a fast learner and he's really, you know, he's doing an amazing job in terms of responding quickly to what we saw last March. So, so I, I think Jay Powell's done a really good job in the past year. Um, and I think he's got a committee that pretty much trusts him and, and uh, is going along with what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, it's more where we're at. I don't, it's not Jay Powell as much as it is. We've never been here before. You know, we're looking at something very unprecedented in terms of leverage in the system, in terms of the pandemic itself, in terms of, you know, shutting down a global economy, not just the U.S., but shutting mm -hmm. down a global economy for months. And, you know, nobody's, we've never, ever dealt with some of the things we're dealing with now. And I think that's the fragility I speak of is mm -hmm. that there's just, you know, the magnitude of the risk and the fragility of the system are on a collision course here mm -hmm. that I think is going to be, you know, trouble. Mm. Yeah, on that, on this whole reopening thing, do you think there's a chance that maybe, you know, a lot of that's already happened? And, you know, we're, we're expecting a lot of, you know, stimulus checks have gone out and such, and we're expecting a lot, a lot of, I guess, purchasing to come back to the economy and retail and travel and all that stuff. In some ways, that's already happened. So do you think that there's a chance that maybe we don't get as big of a bounce as we're, we're expecting here? Um, not in the economy. I, I think there's a possibility that some of the, you know, the higher numbers that are being pushed out there, there are people talking double-digit GDP, Right. There's a possibility we don't get there. There's a possibility we do get there. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of agnostic about that. I don't know what the number's going to look like in the next couple quarters. But I, I will push back on the stimulus checks from, from this $1.9 package are not out there yet. I mean, that has not entered into spending at all. The, you know, the um, $600 checks obviously contributed, I think, in the last couple months. But, but I think there's... There's another round of spending coming, and it's the vaccine. I mean, I really think people are, you know, the governors are opening up, even in some of the states. I know Massachusetts, um, and that's not a Democrat governor, it's a Republican governor, but they were shut down pretty tight, and they're opening up. Um, they're even talking about, you know, Fenway Park having 12% capacity, you know, people come to the game. So, so you are seeing things like that. Um, and I think it's across the board. Obviously, places like Florida and Texas are opening up a lot faster. But I think even California, New York, et cetera, New Jersey, you're going to see opening up. Mm -hmm. You know, the risk is that in that opening up, we get another surge in cases and, mm -hmm. you know, things get shut down quickly. But that's still out there. Nothing like that is foreseen at this point. Um, sure people so are it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a combination of the stimulus checks, and the vaccine, I think, that is causing the reopening. You know, don't forget, airlines, hotels, those are just beginning to mm -hmm. see pickup. And I think that you're going to see a lot of pickup there. It's, a, it's amazing. I'm, you know, I'm not stating this from my own perspective, uh, but there's going to be a lot of people that are, have cabin fever and saying, I'm, I'm done. You know, this, this thing, we, we, it's been a year and with the vaccine, I trust it. I'm going, you know, I'm jumping on a plane to go see my grandkids or whatever. Some of that's already happening, but I yeah. think in in terms of a much bigger surge, I think you're that's still ahead of us. Yeah, I can tell you, I was just in South Florida, and as you may know, Miami got shut down 
but other parts of South Florida too, it's crazy with spring break. There's all kinds of people running around. Um, anyway, all right, so this, so, the, so bottom line is for now you are bullish. You have a uh, target of 4,600 on, on the S&P. That's right. By June 30th into the second quarter. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. I think it's very possible it can happen in the second quarter. Mm. Um, I, I get a lot of um, grief on Twitter because people <laughs> hear those dates right. and think that's my forecast. My forecast is the, is the melt-up. Right. Whether it happens before the end, before June 30th or whether some of it spills over into the third quarter, I don't know. I mean, I, I personally think, as I said before, the parabolic if we're starting that now, you know, that final parabolic, it's been parabolic in, you know, since, since March in some ways, but, but the real final vertical phase, if we're starting that now, you'll be amazed how fast you can cover that ground. I mean, mm. it's, so it, it could be over, you know, in, in May, um, yeah. you could be there by then. Right. But, and I also, you know, want to stress that 4,600 is a target. It won't surprise me if we're, overshooting that but two or three hundred points i have you know once you go parabolic i have no idea what it's ultimately going to be all i do know is once you go into that vertical phase it won't it won't last long yeah okay and so then that will cause the fed to taper and which will then cause a crash right and how does that play out yeah so i think the, the likelihood is that the and i don't use the term crash i i talk about I talk about uh, potential for an 80% bear market, which certainly- 80%? 80% peak to trough, All which right. certainly would qualify as a, a crash, but but I don't use yeah. the word crash. Um, I, I think, and I and I do think it could happen rather fast, like I said, because of the, the risks and the, the speed with which this can unwind. You know, it, it, you could see the whole bear market within this year, even though it doesn't start till second half. Um, the um, um, and then I use the term bust for the economy. So bust refers to the economy. Um, bear market refers obviously to the market. Uh, I think it's probably a combination of tightening, um, pulling money out of the system, and um, perhaps some unforeseen situations in terms of a new surge and in, in you know we're right now riding on the hope that the vaccines are you know basically can handle the variants etc we may find that's not the case i've seen i've seen some pretty negative um you know some people out there on the scientific side saying you know doing a, a massive vaccination in 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 a pandemic is highly risky that it could lead to you know a, a much bigger pandemic that's where where people are left unprotected because of the original vaccine was only meant for the strains we're seeing yeah. now so i'm not a scientist i don't pretend to know how much weight to to give that but i think that's the risk is that if you had another shutdown let's put it this way if you had another shutdown because of you know numbers really picking up again there is no staying power on the part of a lot of these businesses that are hanging on. You know, we, we amazingly, because of fiscal monetary response, not just here, but around the world, have held this world economy together. 
um, not it's not been easy, and it's painful for a lot of people who've been a lot that have fallen through the cracks. But we've held it together, and only had a one quarter in this country only a one quarter GDP negative GDP number, a big one, but only one quarter. Um, if you have another shutdown, it's it, it's beyond the ability. I think the government to stop what I think could come. You know, mm. foreclosure. Think about it. Landlords aren't getting paid their rent. Yeah. For a year, you know, okay. um, um, mortgages are, are people, banks aren't allowed to foreclose on on you know mortgage payers who aren't paying. Um, you know, you have a lot of a lot of businesses that shut their doors and said, "I'm not closing yet. I'm going to reopen if I can." They don't have unlimited ability to do that. So, and there've been a lot that have closed permanently. So. Mm-hmm. I think another shutdown would be devastating and, and would bring on the bust. So it's a combination of tightening and, and that risk that I think could be the you know potential thing that ends this and turns it all down. Um, and then couldn't the Fed just flood the market with liquidity again like they did this time a year ago? As, as I say, yeah. the easiest part of my forecast, and I have a long-term forecast, where I call for a recovery following the bust, that the bust, it's not a depression, it's not you know, long and drawn out, it's gonna happen very fast. You, you could have depression-like events and feel you know, in, terms, in terms of financial crisis, et cetera, um, but have it happen within a you know, 12-month time horizon. Um, and, you know, and then we'll have a recovery. And as I say, the easiest part of my forecast, my long-term forecast, is predicting how the uh, government and the Fed will respond or how the central banks around the world will respond. You will see money like we have never seen before created out of the central banks everywhere. Every single central bank will be printing more money than they've ever printed, probably combined. Um, I've, I've said before, I think the likelihood is that the Fed's balance sheet will grow to something in excess of 20 trillion. Um, and could, and that could be 30 trillion. Um, so, uh, who knows, um, pretty big. and, and, and that that will be matched by fiscal spending. You know, it won't be in a vacuum. You'll be seeing treasury issuance like we've never seen before, and they'll be buying all the treasuries. So, um, the response is pretty predictable. If we truly do get a bust very, very quickly into that bust, you're going to see money created like never before because you're gonna have a financial crisis in, certain, in terms of major bank failures around the world um, and other, you know, obviously a lot of other uh, involuntary debt liquidation. The only thing that can respond quickly to that is um, QE. You know, you'll see money coming out of the banks and you'll see moratoriums on things like we have with mortgages, et cetera, but, but it's, it's, the money is just going to be massive because you're going to have a free-falling financial um, crisis on your hands, free-falling financial system. They're going to have to respond. So that's, mm. uh, I think that's, if, if I'm right about the other part of my forecast, I view the response as a given, you know, and, and again, you saw in March, they came pretty fast. I mean, they understood pretty quickly. Now that they have that on, you know, under their belt, you'll see a, a very fast response. They they know they can't say, "Well, I don't want to cause inflation. I'm going to step back." They'll know that they have to. And when I say they, it's not just Powell. It's 
you know, it's every central banker um, around the world will will come together and say, we've got to do this. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. Yeah, and then wouldn't that potentially cause a, a chain reaction here of, of reaction and opposite reaction where you have you know, tightening again into, well, first of all, that would create inflation and then you have tightening and the market overreacts to that. And then wouldn't you just have a continuous cycle of these things into, I don't know. I mean, well, here's, yeah, here's, here's the, and I started talking about a bust years ago when I started talking about the response that the Fed would have to that and the central banks would have to that years ago in terms of, you know, an unbelievable response. But, and what I said was I can say that because if you're in deflation, if it's a deflationary bust, and this was this was back when, as you recall, many years ago, uh, they were talking about the Fed almost being out of bullets because rates were at one percent or two percent. They said, "How far is it to drop to zero? You, know, you, you don't have many bullets left." And I was probably the only one, the only one on the street, or one of the only ones out there that pushed back and said, "Quite frankly, the Fed has unlimited bullets in a deflationary environment because." They can print money and not worry about inflation. That you know, they'll it will trigger inflation down the road, but they're going to be dealing with the here and now. And in the here and now, you're in deflation, not inflation. So that's the last thing they're worrying about. And that's the that's what I believe is that it will trigger in that next recovery cycle. Um, I believe that recovery cycle is going to be industrially driven because of all the fiscal stimulus that will be aimed at industry. Um, and it will be inflation driven. And you will, my forecast is that in the next cycle after the bust, you will go from 0% tenure to 15%. You will go from negative inflation, you know, deflation, to something in excess of 15, maybe in excess of 20%. Meaning you will retrace the last 40 years of inflation and interest rates where we've disinflated, ultimately deflated and retrace the entire move, 40-year move, in less than a decade. You know, you'd probably be there by the end of the decade. So, And that's because of that massive money that will be pushed into the system around the world. Mm. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. Inflation coming out of deflation, you might, by 2023, begin seeing... Um, low single-digit inflation by 2024, it might be up above mid-single digits. By 2025, you might be the double digit. So it'll come when it comes. It'll start ramping up pretty fast. But you know, you're not going to go from deflation to inflation worries in in six months' time. It's going to mm-hmm. take a couple of years. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, rates will come from zero, and they'll be moving up from zero, but they're not going to go to double digits in, you know, a couple of years. So, um, and and you say that even though, you know, if you look at the history of, and and I hate bringing this up, but the, you know, Weimar hyperinflation that happened very pretty quick. If you know your economic history, like from 1920 to 23, right. So inflation can take hold very quickly, but you think in this, in this case, it'll, it'll take more time. Yeah. It's like I said, it's not that it'll it'll be fast. I mean, to go from, to go from negative inflation to 20% inflation in eight years is ma- massively fast, but yeah, sure. but it's not going to go from negative inflation to 
double digits in two years. I, I don't believe, you know, commodities could pick up really fast. And yeah. but there's, you know, there's a process because as you know, a part of inflation is, is demand driven, a part of it's cost, cost push and the cost push part where it gets built into wages, et cetera, that's going to take time. You're not going to have businesses, you know, that there's a lag to that. So uh, it'll be by historic standards in this country, it'll be fast, mm. but it's, it's not that fast, you know, mm. and, and for a period of time, because you're in a deflationary bust, um, you know, there's a lot of overhang from that bus that kind of keeps things dampened for a while. Mm. So even though you can have, just like we've seen the last year, even though you can have a statistical recovery that looks pretty good, mm. you know, there's still a huge component of the economy that's in, in recession or worse, yeah. the depression. Yeah. So yeah, no that will that will serve as a drag on inflation for a while too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this deflationary bus starts when the Fed starts tightening or, or tapering in, I guess, by the summer, do you think? And then when does it bottom? Um, yeah, I, I think you'll go from, let's say we, I'm right about the 120 on the 10 year, you'll go from 120 on the 10 year to two and a half, could happen over, you know, one quarter. Could, mm. you know, I think, I think the tightening is gonna be relatively quick. Could go from 120 to, you know, could take four or five months, but I, I generally say something between, you know, two and five months for a, for a tightening cycle and, mm -hmm. and more like probably three and five months. Mm -hmm. And so that starts then the deflationary cycle. Uh, and if that yeah. tightening, and if it happens in, in uh, concurrence with, um, you know, the pandemic reasserting itself, um, those two things in combination, I think is what could, you right. know, turn everything negative. Sure. Sure, sure. Okay. So lastly, we haven't talked much about this um, through the course of our conversations, but commodities, you just mentioned it. And interestingly enough, gold is something that has not gone along for the ride here yet. Um, what's your view on the, on the gold? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably the biggest uh, bull on gold out there. I'm, I'm looking for 2,500 oh. um, this year and, you know, I think by summer. Mm. Um, but it's been, you know, I've, I've been a bull um, since last March, I, you know, I was calling for 2,300, I think, um, coming out of the March swoon and it had a great run, got up to 2,100 and I thought it'd have a short pullback and then go to 2,500 and it's been a much longer consolidation of that run. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of bears out there or people negative on gold who don't seem to give credence to the fact that you did have a really nice run from March to August. Right. And that what we've seen since then is basically a flag formation of that, of that run, mm. but it's gone longer. I thought we actually were coming out of that flag back in November and said, it, if it comes out of that in a vertical fashion, you could even, you know, see, you know, new highs by the end of the year and mm. it didn't happen. And then I thought, for sure in the first quarter and it didn't happen. So it's been a long, you know, consolidation. As I tell people, you know, it's all relative. Today traders, you know, a week is a long time or a month is a long time. In the scheme of things, you know, gold gold peaked out in 2011, went through uh, an eight year consolidation, um, had its, you know, first move up out of that 
Yeah, I think in 2016, 17, and then, you know, much bigger move from 1460 last summer. So it's, you know, uh, investors have a tendency to think markets move for them. You know, markets move on their own times and really, you know, a six month or an eight month consolidation now in gold is not something to get bearish over. You know, I do think we're going to see 2,500 and for the, the decade because of my inflation forecast um i'm calling for ten thousand plus and it could be ten thousand plus 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 i mean i have no idea what plus is whether it's fifteen thousand whether it's twelve thousand whether it's twenty thousand but gold gold will be along with silver in my opinion um in the next cycle the leadership along mm. with other commodities mm. more than crypto yeah um, <laughs> I get in trouble there because I, I tell people I don't know anything about crypto. I don't follow it. Don't take, you know, don't take that as a bearish statement, but it's also not a bullish statement. And uh, and then I make the mistake of commenting that I I am a little concerned about the kind of faddish cultish type following and and you know and and I'm speaking like really good way to get moment. attacked on social media yeah yeah speaking of the momentum and stuff and then when it you know I, I probably made that comment when it was below 40,000 or below 30 maybe even below 30 so you know I shouldn't I should keep my mouth shut because I really don't follow it and I should you know my opinion means nothing on crypto but but it's you know I don't think gold's being held down per se because of crypto I just think they're in different modes right now crypto's Crypto's hot, gold is not. <laughs> right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I have no views on crypto either, especially not negative ones. So if you are a crypto bro, please don't come for me. I didn't say anything <laughs> to upset you. All right, David. In, in closing, and, and thank you again for for joining us and being so generous with your time. But I get a lot of requests from listeners to subscribe to your service. And in fact, a lot of them subscribe to me thinking they're subscribing to you, um, which then leads to refunds, which is fine. But tell us, so tell us maybe, and, and I have put this in the show notes before, but, but um, just, yeah, how do people get in touch with you and how do they sign up for your service? Sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I'm on Twitter. Um, and my handle is at Dave H. Contrarian. Um, and, you know, I'm, posting out there probably, if not every day, certainly many times a week, um, my views, my updated views, my commentary to other views. <laughs> um, and then uh, I also put out a quarterly investment letter. And the best way to contact me about that letter um, is to, through, through Twitter, just uh, DM me or direct message me there and I'll get back to you right away in terms of cost and stuff. It does, you know, there's a, subscriber cost to is thousand dollars a year um and uh um, i write four quarterly letters um but you know again the best thing is to reach out through the direct message on twitter okay so dm over twitter if for whatever reason if you aren't on twitter uh you can email me contrarianpod at gmail.com i will make sure that david gets it so that's a thousand dollars a quarter or a thousand dollars a year no no a thousand dollars a year Okay. So, um, and it's a macro letter, so there's no there's no advice in it. It's basically right. my forecast and my right. reasoning for my forecast, et cetera. I'll talk about markets and everything from the stocks and bonds to currencies to precious metals to commodities, et cetera. Right. Um, and I'll talk about um, you know various things I see investment wise 
but I can't provide advice. So it's not a trading letter. It's not there to give people recommendations. No no stock picks or anything like that. No, not at all. And and certainly not anything on cryptos. All right, cool. Um, Yeah, thanks so much, David Hunter, for joining us on, on this Contrarian Investor podcast. Thank you all for listening. And we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.